It's not much of a secret that I have a home field apparel problem. Even before we started this show, I couldn't even step foot on a new college campus without making sure there was something from that school's home field collection waiting on my porch when I got home. So we are, understandably, over the moon to partner with home field this season to keep Pitt fans comfy, cozy, and stylish at a fraction of the price by using promo code LOYALSUNS for 15% off your next order. This discount applies site-wide and with unique vintage collections for every school from Pitt to Bama, Jackson State to Colgate, Michigan, Marshall, Marquette, and both Miamis. There's something for every fan. So whether you're buying for a Pitt fan or for a loser freak, use promo code LOYALSUNS at homefieldapparel.com to save big on your next order. Each code applies once per email address, so get those work emails and burners ready. That's homefieldapparel.com. Hello and welcome back to the Loyal Sun Show. That's at the Loyal Suns on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, wherever you get your social medias. Follow us here there for Pitt Sports content you will not want to miss. If you love offensive coordinators too young to have served in Vietnam and hate having to recruit your own players again, this is the place for you. The Loyal Sun Show. A safe, sunshiny place for your pit athletics fix. Brought to you by Section 5. My name is David. I'm once again here with my wonderful co-hosts Squid and Dylan. Squid, Dylan. The Pit Panthers have a new offensive coordinator. How do we feel? I'm just glad it finally happened. There were rumors that it was only going to take a few days, but it took, like, what, two weeks? So we were on the edge of our seats for a while, and we finally got an answer. Yeah, I'm also very happy that a hire has been made. I think this is pretty important as we enter the portal season and recruiting guys. We do want to bring a transfer quarterback in. I think they're probably going to want to know who their OC is. So I'm glad it was done, and... We'll we'll talk more about the hire, but I'm I'm pretty happy with the direction they went. Yeah, uh, Pitt went and grabbed Western Carolina's Cade Bell. Uh, Western Carolina, for those of you who are not aware, is a SoCon team that stands for Southern Conference in the FCS level. They went down to the former Division One AA to get their guy. Um, He was chosen over a coaching search that ranged from uh, Georgia's Brandon Streeter, Georgia's, what's McClendon's first name? Brian. Brian. Brian McClendon. uh, Mac Leftwich from NA was in there somehow. He coaches college football and apparently at a level that Pitt would consider him for an offensive coordinator job, which I I guess is pretty cool. Uh, And former Penn State burnout, Yurkich. 
Yeah, I never got to the point of learning how to actually say his last name. I'm just glad we don't have to deal with the implosion on Twitter of dealing with Penn State fans saying we got their leftovers or something. So, dudes rang the bell. I have to think that at least played somewhat of a role in Narduzzi's mind. Like, I'm going to go hire an OC that James Franklin just fired. I mean, blind resumes, pretty good. Terrible PR. Listen, I've had this argument with a couple people. I think him having been fired by Penn State in the last year is immediately disqualifying. I don't care if he's Eric Bieniemy. I don't care if he's Nick Saban's kid. The optics of that are disqualifyingly bad. And then also, the more you look into it, he underachieved with a bunch of four and five stars at Penn State. He had a five-star quarterback, two 1,000-yard rushers, uh, the best receiving core that they could buy in the portal, who ended up sucking, and the best offensive tackle in football, and they could not produce on offense. And then his only other stint as an OC was at Texas, where he put up points, but they were still like a underachieving Texas team with all the talent in the world. So you expect this guy to come to Pitt, a place that famously, you know, cuts its teeth and and made its name turning three stars into NFL guys. And you think he's going to get the most out of those guys when he can't even develop four and five stars? Absolutely not. I would have rioted. Stars don't matter. And, uh, been no, they say do. he came here and was just a scapegoat for Drew R. Saki and James Franklin being a control freak. But alas, we don't have to worry about that because we got our guy from an FCS school. I, I do want to clarify one thing. Your sister did have another stint as an OC, and he was the uh, conductor of the fuck it offense with Mason Rudolph and James Washington at Oklahoma State. Yeah, but that doesn't support the point I was trying to make, so we're going to leave that one out. Fair enough. We can cut that in post-production. Yeah. Um, Yeah, so ultimately they settle on Cade Bell. I think there is a handful of, or like a portion of the Pitt fan population that thinks this is them settling because they couldn't land any of the guys they really wanted. Um, People who feel like, this is below pit to go to the FCS level to make a hire. I don't really agree with that. Um, I mean, if you want to go look at other guys who have made jumps, I mean, Yurcich before he was at Oklahoma state was the OC at Shippensburg in the PSAC. Um, this isn't like a, a jump that can't be made. And I think, you know, from our discussions offline and what we really wanted to see, we didn't want to just see another, old dinosaur be plopped in to calling plays for this offense again. Um, We don't want to see, you know, a a guy who's still running an offense that maybe worked in the early two thousands, but doesn't work anymore. Isn't modern. And Narduzzi actually went the complete opposite direction of what Narduzzi would typically do and what he's done in the past and went and got a 30 year old who had one of the most prolific offenses in all of college football, uh, most prolific offense in the FCS, a guy who wants to play fast. And whether this works or not is yet to be seen. But I think as a Pitt fan, 
you have to at least admit that it's promising that Narduzzi didn't go hard headed, find a guy who can run the whose teams like to run the football and uh, just do the same thing. You know, definition of insanity, et cetera, et cetera. You could say that this year was so bad that it was good because in the grand scheme of things, Narduzzi adapted to what college football is going to look like in the 2020s. We were sick and tired of watching other college football games, the conference championship games, saying, wow, that looks absolutely nothing like the Pittsburgh Panthers. So you could say Cade Bell hasn't really proven himself, doesn't have a whole lot to show outside of just being really, really good at Western Carolina. Uh, He had a couple other position coach stints, but by all accounts, schemes up a great offense. And the also a a big guy into recruiting. So you got a, a young, fiery guy, eager to prove himself. Is there a chance this completely flames out? Yeah. We could look back and be like, damn, weird how that guy from Western Carolina who had no play calling experience at the FBS level didn't do anything. But at the same time, could be a diamond in the rough. So I'm glad we swung for the fences. Yeah, I mean, I think we all understand the fans who wanted like some young up and comer from Georgia. Like, like Brian McClendon, I think at first got everybody really excited because you're talking about wow, this dude who's under 40, killing it at the best program in the country. That's the kind of hire we should make. Um, allegedly, he was just a attaching his name to Pitt so that Georgia would add another zero to his paycheck or whatever they do down South. Um, you know, didn't get that one, whatever, but you have to be encouraged by the change in strategy. This represents how many times have you, and you know, squid and Dylan, you specifically, how many times have you called Narduzzi stubborn in the last three months? Lost track. At least once or twice. Probably a handful or more. Um, So to see him go out, get a 30-year-old offensive coordinator from the FCS level with an innovative offense who uses the motto, play fast, score faster. Hell, he, he might not be the greatest coach ever, but to see the change in Narduzzi's approach, the fact that he can learn from his mistakes and you know what? Fuck it. We aren't, we aren't sitting on, on the ball. We aren't running out the clock. We aren't just keeping our defense off the field. We aren't playing early two thousands football that he was willing to make a drastic change, a drastic departure from his normal way of doing things in an attempt to improve this program and right the ship. That has to be, so encouraging. I do not give a shit if you think Cade Bell or a Western Carolina coach is beneath Pitt. That is so refreshing. I don't think we're going to turn into like Oklahoma State or Baylor throwing it 55 times a game. It's going to be way different than last year. But by the numbers, I'm sure we've all seen that graphic going around of Cade Bell looks like he's 75 feet tall in it walking on the football field. Hit us with it, Squid. Yeah, if you've seen it, you know. But if not, you're confused. 
by the numbers at Western Carolina. First in total offense, first in scoring, rushing, passing, first in passing efficiency, first in first downs, first in third down efficiency, first in the red zone. Uh, They broke the school record for yards and passing touchdowns. Uh, Those are all in the Southern Conference. But if you just watch a little bit of film, get in the film room, pull up YouTube, type in Western Carolina football and watch a few highlights, you'll see this looks like an Ohio State a little bit. A little bit like what Alabama does when they spread dudes out. They're going to try to do that. Squid, I did exactly uh, what you're telling our listeners to do yesterday while I was bored. Not a lot of quarterback under center. This is a modern offense. Yeah, I, I think when you watch what they're doing, for me, it was literally just I want to watch an offense that looks like a modern college football offense. And I understand the, the jump from FCS to ACC, but... I mean, at the end of the day, I I know there's differences that are involved. I know the level of athlete is different. Um, There's a lot that goes into it with with recruiting and scheming. But if you're calling plays, you're calling plays in my eyes. So if you know football and you really know the game and can scheme things up, I mean, I feel like, sure, they were playing against his Western Carolina teams were playing against maybe lesser competition, but he's also going to have better athletes now at his disposal. So I think that's exciting to say. What what can he scheme up with a Gavin Bartholomew? He never had a guy like Gavin Bartholomew at Western Carolina. What can he do with a guy like Ken Neither Johnson? did Signetti. Yeah, true. Uh, at least in his he, own understanding. What can he do with a Kanade Mumfield, a Kenny Johnson, uh, Rodney Hammond? Like, I, I just think it's super exciting to see what a young, innovative play caller might be willing to or able to scheme up with, with these type of athletes at his disposal. I'm not going to sit here and act like an expert of the Southern conference, but I'm like 99% sure that Western Carolina isn't like a powerhouse. So it's not like you have a big talent disparity. Like, Oh, he's got all the best players. So you can do whatever you want and it'll just work. That's not the case. I think they're probably closer to the bottom and like the historical ranks uh, against all those other teams. So, it took some innovation to get yeah. them out of the basement of the Southern Conference. Yeah, it's not like, oh, I could coach at Alabama with all those players and we could still go 8-4, at least. No, I think he he knows what he's doing on offense. And, I mean, I'm sure that he impressed Narduzzi in his interview coming in and saying, hey, we're going to do this. And Narduzzi's must have been impressive to make him change. I'm sure it wasn't easy, even after the year that they had and all the, uh, the the terrible, terrible displays of play calling, quarterback play, just general football. I'm glad we're going in a different direction, in a, a very different direction. I'd have to think part of his interview process was Narduzzi being like, well, if you see this type of defense, what are you? how are you going to counter that? And Bell had some good answers for him. Uh, I don't think, I mean, this hire is probably going to determine like what, how long Narduzzi is going to be Pitt's head coach. If it's a home run hire and Pitt's offense turns around, uh, might be back 
looking at, you know, Narduzzi finishes out his contract. Maybe there's another extension at the end of it. That's so far away. I don't even want to think about it. But if, if this goes bad, then this very well could be, um, you know, the beginning of the end for Pat Narduzzi at Pitt. So I, I think that's why I mean, everyone wanted this hire to happen quickly. Uh, Narduzzi could not take this this hire lightly. He had to no had to do his vetting, look at every possible option, have every conversation and make sure that he was confident that he's getting it right. I I completely agree, Dylan. I I think that had to have been in the back of his mind when he decided to swing for the fences for the first time in his coaching career, it seems like. He's always played it conservative, close to the vest. I think he knows that he how much he personally has, not just the program, he personally has riding on this decision. And, you know... Maybe it elevated a young hotshot up and comer over a guy who the fan base would have relished in the opportunity to turn on. Like you're you're sick, you're kick, you're chick, Mike, Mike from Penn State. Who knows? Maybe two years from now, Cade Bill will be that next like hotshot up and comer that we're fending off for USC. Get into the ground floor. I like the move. Also, looking through Twitter, searching Cade Bell for like an hour yesterday. It looks like Florida was like kicking the tires on the Cade Bell. Uh, Sweepstakes. Yeah, that's the word. I'm going to say car, but that's, that's weird. <laughs> so it's not like we, we grabbed this guy that nobody wanted. It seemed like Florida was interested. That's a big-time job. The fans weren't too happy that we we got him. Yeah, yeah. So if it wasn't this year, I'm sure next year he would have taken a a power five job somewhere. We're not taking some some young kid who doesn't know shit. He is a nepo baby. He his only stint as an offensive coordinator. He was hired by his own father, but um, I can get over a little bit of nepotism if you're putting up forty points a game. Like I, yeah. I mean, I feel like results are results. I feel like that's almost every football coach. I mean, obviously not every football, but like how many coaches are the sons of coaches? Yeah. Or like, yeah, your buddy coached with my dad back in the 70s. You're the son of my buddy who I played with at New Hampshire. I mean, how many of Tomlin's coordinators are his buddies? And we know how that's going. <laughs> No, but I'm I'm excited about the hire. I I really had myself excited at the rumors that Streeter and McClendon were both going to come here. But then I thought about it in 2 seconds and I was like we don't have that much money and also why would they do that? They're both at Georgia. Streeter has been an OC before. McClendon has been an OC before. Streeter got chased out of Clemson. I don't know if that's much better than a guy getting chased out of, out of Penn State. Yeah, the Streeter one was a little bit, eh, I don't know. I don't care who's at Georgia right now. But end of the day, I'm happy. Seems like some of the social media Panther fans aren't. I was surprised by how many people wanted Yurkic. I was like actually blown away. I thought everybody would be no, no, no. This guy's like poison. 
But give it a shot. It's different. And if he sucks, you'll be happy because he'll be gone soon, and probably so will Pat Narduzzi. So. Kind of a win-win. He's either awesome and we're awesome, or he sucks and we're hitting the reset button in two years, which is what everyone's kind of calling for anyway. Play fast, score faster. He's yeah, a big hashtag guy. Love a good hashtag. I think he also threw in the Berg is jumping. I don't know what the backstory of that is, but sure. Let's do it. Bring some transfers now. To me, the most important thing is uh, the player reaction has been positive. Um, I've seen quite a few of the guys pretty excited about the addition, um, complimenting the hire. Uh, John Morgan even tuned in because they actually, Western Carolina and Arkansas played this year, and John Morgan, you know, commented on the kind of style he he plays, how hard they are to defend, even though Arkansas blew him out, obviously, and, you know, complimented the hire. But it's really good to see after I think it's pretty clear the players were out on Signetti by the end of the year. Yeah. To see them excited about this guy. And I think we've started to see that in, you know, the transfer portal or lack of transfer portal movement for this pit team. So the last time we had a podcast, uh, we took the week off last year. We wanted to wait until after the coaching search wound up because we don't want to come on and say all kinds of stuff. Then it'd be irrelevant because they hired somebody different, but, and, and we're lazy. Also laziness. We needed a bye week. Yeah. We had some events, but the last time we left off, we made a list of about a dozen guys that were, we can't lose these guys. These are guys that we like must keep on the team and everyone else. If they leave, yeah, it's a loss, maybe a little bit, but very replaceable. And like David said, did a pretty good job. I think there was only one person off of that list that did not come back. And that was uh Sammy O Sammy Oak and Lola. Uh, Seems to have some pretty good offers, I'm sure. NIL had a factor in that, but that one hurts. We went three and nine. We got to take our punches, and if it's only one big one, so be it. Yeah, and and the word on the street isn't that you know Oak and Lola was like disgruntled here. I think it was a chiefly financial decision, which. I'm not going to fault a kid for going and getting a bag, especially when you have as much upside as he does. Um, it just goes to show, you know, keep donating to Alliance 412, who had a pretty good last couple weeks. And, and you know, we're going to be able to keep these big names and and add to the list. But what was really encouraging was, um, you know, Cade Bell gets announced, Kenny Johnson through Alliance 412 announced that, you know, he'd be returning this year. And I don't know when we got to the point that players were making announcements that they were staying. But I'm not gonna I'm not gonna shit on good news. It's yeah. annoying because you're like, is this guy not, not announcing because he doesn't know if he's coming back or does he not feel the need to? But it seems like everybody noteworthy that 
were like the highest priority said they are coming back. So get used yeah. to it. I mean, it's, it's 2023. This is college football now. Everyone wants a nice graphic they can throw up on social media, get those mm. likes and retweets and engagements. So uh, I don't hate it. I, I like I like to see that we don't have to worry and sweat about, well, is Kenny Johnson still going to enter the portal in, in a few days? I don't even know. What's the deadline at this point? Do they have till like the end of this month? There's like two periods and then, I don't know. It's too damn confusing, but. If you, you guys, guys Google can fill about really ten, now. yeah. If you guys can fill about ten seconds of dead air, I can find out. Yeah, I mean, Kenny Johnson announcing coming back is huge. I know Pitt fans are worried about him going. I was always kind of skeptical of that. I know how much hype there is around Kenny within the Pitt sphere, and we know that he's a stud and is going to be really good. That he's next up, but I don't know how much of a market there was for a receiver at 15 catches on a three and nine team i'm sure if he would have entered the portal teams would have came looking um but you know if if we're talking nil and transfer and getting paid maybe it pays off more for him to have a big year this year and then enter the portal next year and i don't even want to get into that right now but yeah good situation here january 2nd okay january 2nd Good and then there's a no, that other window after a uh, spring ball, which is a lot less useful to the players because you missed all that opportunity to train with your new team. You mean the, the Jordan, Jordan Addison, the Jordan Addison period period. Yeah. I wasn't going to say it, but I guess we had to go and hurt everyone's feelings again. But aside from that, two more additions or maybe just not subtractions. Brandon George back. They temple back after dipping their toes in the portal. Yeah, that was those were kind of funny to me. Just like, yeah, I'm gonna put my name in the portal. Oh, I don't have any offers better than that. I think Nate Temple had FAU, like Texas State, like very clear drop downs uh, to Group of Five, and then Brandon George. I honestly didn't see anything about him getting tweeting out offers. I would have expected Brandon George to have an offer or two that were pretty good considering he announced very quickly after the season ended or the portal opened whenever it was. Which is usually an indication that there's been some light tampering or to put it kinder interest from other schools. Yeah. So I was like, ah, that one sings a little bit. We could use some linebackers. But, oh, well, Nate Temple, I think we're all okay with searching for elsewhere. But them both being back, I think we can just chalk it up to good depth. We need people to play positions. George might be a little bit more impactful, a veteran in that soon-to-be young linebacker room. The ends, hopefully they get somebody else. We'll leave it at that. Coach Partridge has some work to do on that end. We lost Oaken Lola. We lost Jules. We lost a couple guys to just being old as hell. They obviously don't trust Elliot Donald. They obviously don't trust Nakai Johnson. So is our defensive line next year going to be Dayon and Sean Fitzsimmons? Like, what's our plan? 
not to get us on a whole other thing, but this is what I'm losing sleep over now. I mean, it's got to be, is that priority one in the portal right now? Defensive line? I would I would argue if your quarterback situation isn't settled, your priority one in the portal is always quarterback. But that has to be a very close number two. But have we expressed interest in anybody who we think could start for this football team next year? I, don't tell me Kyle McCord. I know no. the football team followed him or somebody followed somebody. Oh, so he's basically a Panther already. Let's not hold his breath. Was it kid from Holy Cross? Yeah. Uh, Saluka. Yeah. I've heard rumors, but nothing I'd like go on the record about. Yeah. Maybe someone from like a bigger school. Yeah. I'm going to be honest. <laughs> if they have to drop a bag on like another unproven quarterback, I'd rather they just use that money elsewhere. And yeah, hope Yarnell or Veyer can figure it out. Probably Yarnell because that's who they finished the season with. But I simply don't want to go through the same song and dance of paying some transfer quarterback a bunch of money. He stinks, but they feel tied to him because they paid him a bunch of money. And then, like we've we've seen this story before. Uh, so unless they can go get a guy who's like been a starter somewhere else and is a little bit established. And I don't really know that that's going to be out there to convince the guy to, unless, unless some guy falls in love with Cade Bell's offense and they can sell him on that. Um, I'd really like to see that we, we've seen, you know, what the value is for quarterbacks in the portal. These guys get paid. Um, and I would really yeah. prefer that if, if they're going to take a gamble and pay some guy who's, not really proven or has proven that he's washed up and mediocre to just use that, those funds elsewhere. With all that being said, I think think they're going to bring a quarterback. Go for a young guy, someone that won't have to start immediately. You don't have to start your transfer immediately. You can get a young guy and let him learn and not, spend like 50% of Alliance 412's budget on him, you know? I don't know. It is it is so difficult because, I mean, after what Michael Penix looked like his last year in Indiana or how Bo Nix looked half the time at Auburn, who thought they'd be this? Jaden Daniels was chased out of Arizona State by his teammates. So it's it's just so hard to gauge. Yeah. Evaluating quarterbacks is tough. It all depends on the situation and what happened, wh- where what they were doing, what kind of weapons they had, what kind of coaching they had. So we got Cade Bell, so we'll be all right. Any final thoughts on the portal? Putting a lot of hope in Cade Bell. Apparently, he's a pretty decent recruiter. A lot of and Florida I'm, guys on that Western Carolina team. Uh, uh, uh. Oh. Western Carolina, also a um, couple pretty nice athletes entered the portal. Would hate for them to follow their old ball coach up to Pittsburgh. 
at least be depth pieces, maybe push to be starters. I do not know the drop off in ability. I think the top one was uh, sincerely the receiver there. He was Western Carolina's leading receiver. That's his name. Yeah. Sincerely. Sincerely. Yeah. Okay. I, I well, honestly didn't put that together until you you mentioned it. <laughs> all all name team. Let's get him here. Let him run go routes on Akshur's grass. Sincerely, the loyal sons. Pitt basketball team is riding a two game winning streak, and since we last discussed this team, um. There were a couple losses too, but we're just not going to talk about those because they were a long time ago and we don't feel like it. Um, but going back to last week, uh, Pitt basketball Panthers went down to Morgantown and got a win in the b- backyard basketball brawl. Uh, first in seven tries for the Pitt basketball program. I think we had lost six straight to the Mountaineers. Uh, so much needed and Obviously, the main headline is Pitt beats West Virginia, but uh, one one A one B here would have to be uh, Blake Henson just had the most Blake Henson game of all time. Uh, Twenty nine points sets a program record, breaking his own program record, uh, hitting nine threes in the game, and they weren't just catch and shoot three pointers at in the corner. Like he was hitting threes from the logo would be an understatement. He was a couple steps over half court catching this ball and chucking it. Um, just an, a huge win for a team that needed one very badly coming off of two straight losses. And Blake Henson is heating up and becoming the player that we all pretty much expected he was going to be this year when he decided to come back for one more season. Squid, David, any thoughts? Yeah, yeah, I was using my calculator for a second. Uh, in his last four games, Blake Henson has scored 22, 27, 29, and 26. And he is shooting 49% from three. And he's shooting bad? a lot of threes. He's is that shooting... bad? No, no, no. Those are both extraordinary. And it makes you wonder like, what would this team mm. be if Blake Henson decided to test the NBA waters. So every time you see Blake Henson, tell him, thank you for coming back because, Oh my gosh, this guy is unstoppable. Yeah. I mean, he's just shooting the ball at an unbelievable level right now. I mean, if you watch the Canisius game, I was coming off of an absurdly crazy game at, Morgantown, where he was shooting deep threes after deep threes. Guys in his face, doesn't matter. Kevin Durant even commented on it, saying, dude must have been cooking if he's getting compared to me. Against Canisius, he's getting to the rim. He's driving by guys. So he's just scoring at an absurd level right now. One that we haven't seen. I think I saw Pitt's last 20-point-per-game scorer was... Uh, Brandon Shorter in the 80s. Yeah, watching in the beginning of the season, I couldn't help but notice that the offense wasn't being run through him, and I kind of felt like that's the logical thing to do. You have a bunch of big bodies to rebound. You have a very good freshman guard, and you use that 
as an infrastructure to just keep feeding Blake Hinson so he can score 30 points a game and shoot from wherever he wants. So we hit a rough patch. We aren't going to talk about it. Hopefully they've kind of found their groove going forward and it's let letting Blake do whatever the hell he wants. It was interesting because they blew the brakes off of West Virginia in the second half. It was an absolute curb stomping. And then we were really happy. We looked amazing. We forgot about those two losses. You just step back and you look at it in West Virginia. Not all that good, but it's a rivalry game on the road. We're not going to cry about a big win against a rival. Canisius comes to town and by uh, our favorite rating, the net rating, this is now our best win. And they gave us some trouble for a half, but for whatever reason, you could say it's because they played three games in a week. Uh, it could just be a general struggles with the team. Took a while to get going, but once again, they figured it out. Blake Henson, shocker, big part of it. Yeah, I think Blake um, is h- hitting his groove is huge for this team. I think these guys figure out what everyone's roles are because I do think it has felt like at times after the initial Bub Carrington hype that I know like pit fans, it's like, Oh, we have this kid who's going to be a one and done. He's actually going to be our best player. And Blake Henson had to kind of remind everyone like, yeah, the, the youngin's good, but this team is going to, they're going to go as I go. Um, and he showed that. And I think, Bub setting him up and being the, you know, the complimentary table setter for for Blake Henson is is really how this team should operate, and everyone's going to kind of figure that mm-hmm. out. And I don't think that feeling ever changed, probably within the team. Um, I, I think everyone, you know, Blake Henson's accomplishments are are well recorded, and and he is the leader in that locker room. And Coach Capel's talked about it. Um, our buddy George Michalowski, he just put out a Really great article. If you haven't seen it yet, go give it a look. But just kind of talking about how Blake has stepped up as a leader this season for this team. So everyone knows it's his team. That's how it should stay. Uh, Blake has the ultimate green light. And then all these guys kind of just have to fill in around him. Talk about finding out the rotations. I think Capel is doing a little bit of that on the fly now. We've seen some different combinations. And unfortunately, uh, disclaimer, we're going to talk about some bad things now. Fetty hasn't looked all that great this year. And we're trying some new things out because of it. Yeah, what what do you guys think is going on there? Because it's been... You don't need a PhD in hoops to see that he is having a abysmal time on both sides of the court. He'll have these spurts where he looks like his old self, but overall... The defense isn't what it was. I mean, the rebounding totals are real low. I mean, they've resorted to going with Jefferson, a twin over Fetty for long periods of time. And you don't love to see that, but it it worked against Canisius. So I I think Capel's really trying to dig deep in the bag and see like, whenever this is happening, whenever Fetty's off, what can we do to make up for that? Like what are the other buttons I can push to, bigger guys on the floor 
I think I'm firmly now in the camp, and I really didn't think I'd ever get here, that uh, Jeffers needs to be a starter. I I understand that the offensive production has been a letdown, um, that you expect any semblance of offensive production from a guy as highly recruited as he was out of high school. Um, but he's just been so much better on defense and on the boards than Fetty and the twins lately. And I think Blake Hinson will gladly eat Jeffress's slice of the pie when it comes to uh, putting shots. <laughs> that wasn't a fat joke uh, when it comes to putting up shots. Like I, I think Hinson will gladly absorb you know, Jeffers share and, and Jeffers can just, I don't know, screen, pick and roll, whatever. Well, Will Jeffers is two for two from three against Canisius. If they can start Steady. getting some shots from him, um, I don't have a ton of faith. He just hasn't been a consistent shooter since he's been at Pitt. Um, but if he can even be like a low 30 percentage, 30 percentile uh, type of three point guy, off the catch and shoot. I mean, that would be huge for this team that give them another guy who can knock down threes. Um, and like we said, like his defensively and on the boards, he's just been super effective for them. Super glue guy type, type of, uh, performances for him. And I mean, Federico, Jorge and Guillermo combined for a whopping three rebounds in quick math here 54 minutes of play against Canisius. um there's like 21 foot feet of person between the three of them and they only managed three rebounds against um a, a solid but lower level division one team i'm not gonna go out and say i think will jeffers should start i if we're in that camp uh We've got some problems on offense. I'm still hopeful Zach Austin can find his role on offense soon. He hasn't really scored in the last two games. He barely been played last game. But uh, I like Will Jeffers off the bench. And if he plays well in the first couple times he gets in, I'm all for giving him 15, 20 minutes because someone's got to be out there. And uh, apparently we can't trust Fetty and the Twins for the whole game. It's it's funny, though. It seems like every game, Jorge or Guillermo steps up and plays really well. You just don't know who's going to have their day that day until it happens. So we'd love to get some more consistency out of the bigs. Not writing off Fetty, but we got to see more. And we need to see more. Because the ACC play is coming up. And... Some big dudes coming. Who's going to guard Filipowski? Who's going to guard Baycott? I mean, Clemson gave us hell down low. So I, for, I forgot Baycott was still in college. That's so funny. But he did good against Baycott both times they played last year. So I don't know if if you guys remember last year. Like I feel like what Fetty's doing now is. M- kind of what he looked like early in the season last year, but everyone had the bar set so low for expectations for him that everyone was like, oh yeah, five, like if he can give us five points and 
not completely kill us defensively, although he has kind of struggled struggled on that end so far. But he got better as the season went on, and I think everyone just assumed that where he finished off last season is maybe where he would start this season. Maybe it'll just take a month or two to Fetty, for Fetty to get going. I'm really hoping that's the case, because the best version of this team, I do think, is uh, a team where, where Fetty's productive, rebounding, blocking shots, uh, catching lobs. They They need production from Fetty, because... I love the twins, and I think Guillermo has shown some really good flashes. Uh, but I, I think that they're still showing that they're struggling to guard some of the bigger, more physical guys at the at the collegiate level. Yeah, definitely the case for the twins. I'll say this in Fetty's defense: I think overall this team's defense has been pretty bad. There's a lot of times they're just kind of running around. They're like. Feels like I don't know if they're not communicating or it's just step late here, step late there, and it's like, well, Fed, you got to try to bail us out here, and it's it's not working. He's been put in tough spots. Yep. Uh, the problem is the struggles on defense are showing up on the offensive end. He's taking some goofy shots. He's letting passes and lobs slip through his fingers. So just focus on defense for now, Fetty. I think – and the Canisius was nice because he got a, a lob – from Leggett uh, on a couple rolls, they fed it to him and he kicked it out for a three. So we're still seeing bits and pieces of, of old Fetty. Just got to see it for a full game. Yeah. Don't give up on him yet. Uh, we got a few more non-conference games for him to figure things out. Um, if he can figure things out, I'll feel a lot better. If Zach Austin can figure things out, I'll feel a lot better. Uh, he's, I mean, Zach Austin's shooting 21% from three this season. Um, he wasn't exactly a sharpshooter at high point. It was right around the 32 33% mark. Uh, but I would hope that he can kind of get back to that level at least because right now the, the lack of production from those wings is, is really hurting this team. Lucky for us, have a bit of a, well, I don't want to get ahead of ourselves play South Carolina State the 16th, have a week off, recover, regroup. And then after South Carolina State, they have Purdue Fort Wayne, who might be kind of formidable. 10 and 1. 10 yeah. and 1. I don't, don't really have any super impressive wins, um, but they are 10 and 1, so that, that counts for something. But definitely a good time for that because after Purdue Fort Wayne, we got Syracuse, UNC, back-to-back end of December, Ooh. early January. So now's the time. Iron it out. Zach Austin, Will Jeffress, thousand threes a day, and we'll, we'll be good. And practice your foul shots. Hear that, Coach Capel? Santa. You ever think of that? Santa, our wish list. Zach Austin and Will Jeffress start hitting threes. The entire team start hitting free throws. Fetty, Fitfo. Final thoughts are back, and they are brought to you by Guerrero Law. Squid, what is the best and worst thing that happened to you this week? Ooh, the best. Um, I will allude to my final thought, which is a big final thought, going to the pit volleyball match and watching them win. So that was... 
It's very good. The worst, um, I will allude to another final thought that we have. Waking up uh, like horrendously hungover on Sunday at like 1230 because of a party that we had, which was a great party. but In celebration of a thing. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, that, but yeah, things. Well, Squid, you know, life is full of elite eight victories as well as it is full of, you know, praying to the porcelain god, you know, puking at seven a.m. And while you can't sue like the local liquor distillery, let's say hypothetically you're driving down Bigelow Boulevard and you get rear-ended. And you're suffering because of your injuries. Maybe some local law firms aren't really taking you seriously and you're having trouble with your insurance company. This is when you need to pick up the phone and call Guido Guerrera. If you find yourself in a situation where you need help, call Guido. He will help turn your losses into an Elite Eight reverse sweep of the Louisville Cardinals. You can reach Guido at 412-229-7757 or GuerreraLaw.com, G-U-R-R-E-R-A-L-A-W dot C-O-M. He is licensed in Pennsylvania and Ohio. So, final thoughts. Dylan, would you like to lead us off? I sure can. Uh, The party referenced in Squid's earlier... Illusion, alluding. Uh, yeah, he talked about it earlier. Uh, yeah, it was a party to celebrate me. I got engaged on Saturday night. I am now an engaged man. Proposed my beautiful fiance, um, and then was able to celebrate with a bunch of friends after. So I have great friends, great woman, and uh, very, very excited about it. So thanks for everyone who celebrated with me. A few of you guys listen to this. Congratulations. We're very excited for you and Natalie. The ring is beautiful. The setup was beautiful. You did it. Mount Washington, city in the backdrop, a true loyal son. During the Pitt Canisius game, though, and didn't look at the schedule whenever you planned this months ago. Yeah, but to Dylan's credit, Dylan, what was the first thing you asked after you were <laughs> mobbed walking into our buddy's apartment? So. Yeah, I said, did Pitt lose the Canisius? Because I at one point while we were at dinner, I, I checked. I got a notification. It was like Pitt was down 41-40 at half. I'm like, you got to be shitting me. And I'm already nervous. I'm like, I'm about to make huge, huge uh, proposal outside. And so my chest is already tight. And then on top of it, I have to worry about Pitt losing to a low major. But uh, I pulled out my phone as everyone was mobbing Natalie. And then I checked and saw that we won by 11. I was like, oh, thank God. I was like, this, this, I mean, I, I figured I, I would check then because it's like now if it's like bad, it's like, okay, it's fine. Just had like one of the best moments of your life five minutes ago. You, Priorities, yeah. It's a good time to stomach like a pit loss. You'd be like, fuck, fuck it doesn't matter. Um, but I'm not going to lie, a bit of a weight off my shoulders when I saw they won. So now uh, Squid is the only unbetrothed loyal son. Yeah, Lady Dunn really stopped talking to me after Pitt uh, was disqualified from bull eligibility. Apparently, it's a big deal to her, and she won't go out with dudes who podcast for 
schools that can't even get to the quick lane bowl. So on the market, <laughs> our popularity is completely dependent on the success of pit sports. Um, mm-hmm. But squid, there's got to be, we have thousands of listeners. There's got to be upwards of like a half dozen age appropriate women that listen to this show. There's like, we, we got to send out the, the bat signal or something. The squid signal. Yeah, yeah. We'll look into it. We'll look into the functionality of the light on top of the cathedral and see if we can get a outline <laughs> of my face. Squid, you want to go ahead? Or was your final thought to hit you up? No, no. I, okay. I wanted to say Natalie is a loyal daughter. She's been through thick and thin as a pit fan in addition to the girlfriend of Dylan. So happy to have her in the podcast family. Uh, my final thought, I got to take it to the pit volleyball match on Saturday. So that was quite something. I It's tough to rank the best sporting events you've been at. Because there's so many crazy ones when you think of like all the magical pit games. I'm just gonna say that's up there. It was to the brim, packed in the fits, dramatic fashion, most hated rival. Whenever Cat was on earlier this year, we talked about like like basically just fuck Louisville. The, just the two top dogs in the ACC, and they always seem to find each other in the most critical moments. And they got revenge from last year's tournament run. Third straight Final Four. How do you feel about uh, the Fitzgerald Fieldhouse like, as a venue? Like, is it loud in there? Oh, extremely. It was nuts. Uh, it was the 100 degrees, though. So I'm looking forward to Victory Heights for that reason because I'm assuming they'll have some better circulation in there. I was sweating before the, the match even started, but oh my gosh, yeah, it was... It was sweet. It's like just big enough to where it's not like small and lame, but it's not too big to where the sound escapes, if that makes sense. It's an intimate venue. Yeah. That's what we'll go with. Yeah. I mean, sorry, I was going to say finishing like the way it finished was so poetic, just slamming it directly into that girl's dome, like just headshot head kill shot for the for the trip to the final four like that was so badass i mean that was the deciding point it was obviously electric there was a point in oh what was it i think it was the fourth set olivia babcock just i don't think she got a serve and play for the first three and in fourth <laughs> she had like three aces in a matter of four points and that was the point whenever everyone knew this is over. Like, we got to get 10 more points this set. We got to win the fifth still, but this is over. The momentum, the fans. I think Kat just had an ace earlier, and everyone's like, yeah, we're, we figured it out. This is happening. We're pulling it off. So we're back to the final four, mm-hmm. and that means this weekend we are facing off against the number one team in the country, the Nebraska Cornhuskers. Now, I'm not, uh, you know, a veteran of college volleyball, but 
isn't this volleyball Alabama, essentially? Yes. Nebraska and Wisconsin are Alabama and Georgia, essentially. I mean, didn't they play a game in front of like 80,000 people earlier this year? Yeah, they uh, they sold out their football stadium for a volleyball game, which is insane. Pitt can't even sell it out for a football game. Oh my god, what if what if we get attendance stated by Nebraska fans for the whole next week? I mean, they're Nebraska. Are they good at anything besides volleyball? I mean, wrestling probably. C- corn. Yeah, they do corn. They do corn. Good. Good luck to the women's volleyball team. Uh, my final thought. So this weekend, Jane Daniels was announced the Heisman winner, and I, I don't, I don't know how to feel about it. Like, there's a huge part of me that's like. Yeah, you shouldn't just be the best player on the best team to automatically win the Heisman. That's how you get a bunch of shitty Heisman winners like Jason White. Like Jason White. Actually, specifically like Jason White. Or, honestly, Archie Griffin the second time around. Or, I mean, you can name a million. Uh Bryce Young over Kenny Pickett. Just be the best player on the best team. No, it it should be the best, most impactful player in the country. But on the other hand, like, it's kind of weird that we have a Heisman winner that didn't have, like, a Heisman moment or, like, a, a headlining victory. I mean, they beat Missouri, but it was halfway through the season or early in the season when we didn't know Missouri was any good. So Jane Daniels is awesome, but I don't know how I feel about him winning the Heisman over a guy like Michael Penix, who went out every week and beat a ranked team every week and made Washington undefeated. Um, and also I had money on Michael Penix, so that might contribute to that a little bit. I don't know. How should I feel about this? I think this is one of the lamer Heisman winners we've had. Um not that he, I mean, his numbers are unbelievable. I'll be honest. Like, I didn't yeah. realize how good his numbers were until there was like two weeks left. And everyone's like, well, Jaden Daniels is going to win the Heisman. I'm like, really? And then I looked at his numbers. I'm like, wow, yeah, he's had a hell of a year. But it, I don't like that. Like, historically, you know, the Heisman's like a narrative driven award. Um, right. It's honestly, I've, grown to hate the Heisman ever since the Kenny Pickett season. Mm. Um, but yeah, I, I just felt like this was like, oh, Jaden Daniels is going to win it despite not, re- like you said, not really having a Heisman moment, not having any signature win uh, that you can point to and be like, this is the game he won it. Um, but honestly, I thought that I thought Caleb Williams winning it last year was kind of lame too. So I, I'm pretty much over the Heisman. I, I hate that I've got to this point because as a college football fan, this is like the award. Um, but I think Heisman voting and the, the race to win it has gotten honestly just kind of insufferable. And it's, I don't know, it doesn't have the same prestige that it once did for me. Do you think that's because the 
like the award has changed or do you think it's just because like we've grown up and the the sheen has dulled and we now know too much about the process because I mean, if you go back, the award was first given out in, it was either 1926 or 1929. Um, always get those two years confused. You know how it is. Uh, and from from then until like OJ Simpson won it, it was, are you the best player on either Army, Navy, or Notre Dame? Paul Horning won the Heisman Trophy in 1950 for a 4-8 Notre Dame team. He threw four touchdowns to I think 16 or, or 20 picks. So this award has n- never gone to the best or most impactful player in college football. And when it does, it's a rarity when it goes deservedly to like Joe Burrow or Reggie Bush, who now that I say that doesn't have his Heisman trophy anymore. <laughs> so kind of a moot point. Like it's, it's always been deeply flawed, but it's just like, I don't know. It's the most prestigious award in American sports comma individual i think it's one of those weird years it'll be a year that you forget it's like oh yeah who won it that year oh yeah it was Jaden daniels like everyone's gonna remember johnny manziel Jameis winston was insane reggie bush like lamar lamar was a big one so i think it was a year daniels yes the numbers you can say all those tweets he had more yards and touchdowns than Kyler Murray did when he won it in like three less games or something absurd. But he didn't beat anybody. I'd like to see somebody beat somebody, take your team to new heights, or at the very least do something insane. Like whenever RG3 won yeah. it, he had a couple like heroic circus plays. He took Baylor, a team that historically really hasn't done a whole lot to like relevance. So it'll be one of those years we forget, and I don't think anybody else should have won. Yeah, I mean, no one's throwing parades for a kid who takes LSU to nine and three when they were a preseason top five. Also, it seems like the hype around it kind of dulls it down because already we've seen Heisman lists for next year. Who's going to win it next year? And if you're at that number one spot, you're probably not going to win because the hype is too high and you can't surpass it. Yes. Caleb Williams was a shoe in this year. Couldn't live up to that hype. It's every year. Also, they, they will almost refuse to vote for someone to win a Heisman twice in a row out of some unearned respect for Archie Griffin. Do you know how many touchdowns Archie Griffin had the year he won his second Heisman? Four. A lot less than Tony Dorsett. Four. He had four. Tony Dorsett had a hundred more yards, a full more yard per carry, and I think a dozen more touchdowns. It's a narrative-driven award. They gifted him a second Heisman in a row and have now very much made it so that no one else can win a second one. It's weird. It's got weird rules, but God damn, do I love it. It's like everything in college football. It's so stupid. It makes no sense. It's my favorite thing in the world. Yeah. It's a cool award. It's cooler when the guy who wins it does cooler things. But congrats to Jaden Daniels. Hell of a year. Super impressive. Yeah. Just kind of kind of lame by Heisman standards. 
He had almost half of his touchdowns against Grambling State, Georgia State, and Army. Brian Kelly kept the phone of the gas. Like Cade Bellwell this year for Pitt. Brian Kelly, man's a killer. Heard that. All right. With that, uh, we'll wrap up here. Uh, thank you all for listening. Remember, Cade Bell's in town. We're going to play fast and score faster. As always, hail loyal sons of Pittsburgh. And that's going to do it here for the Loyal Sun Show. The incredibly handsome and talented Dylan, David, and Squid are signing off. Until next time, Panther fans, H2P.